You're listening to Amplified, presented by Lurie Children's. Transcripts of this and all episodes can be found at luriechildrens.org forward slash Amplified. Up until now, Amplified has focused on our heroine's childhood. Once Katie graduated from high school into young adulthood, her whole support system was going to change. Because growing up with a hearing loss is very different from being grown up with a hearing loss. You graduated from Bennett Mm -hmm. and went on to college. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your your college years with the hearing loss? So, like going to Bennett, I was thrilled to try something new again. Um, I went to the University of Iowa, and um, I was a double major in speech and hearing sciences, um, and I majored in Spanish as well. Um, And so... Um, but so I, I double majored and I also was on, um, the women's rowing team. So we were a D one, um, team there. And, you know, I know my dad mentioned earlier that I wasn't a huge fan of the water younger. I still wasn't a huge fan of it then, but I think at that point I had found something that really, I loved being part of a team. I had, um, you know, played soccer. I had ran cross country and track in my formative years. And so I was so excited that I was on this rowing team. And as chance would have it, there was another woman on my team who also had a hearing loss. And, um, you know, so she and I became fast friends. She and I are still good friends now. And, you know, just, I think having that community of those athletes there too, um, and again, building that level of trust with them. I think that's one thing that my hearing loss has really kind of helped me um is is the relationships that i built are so focused on trust and um you know the people that i feel like i can really lean on i really i really feel like i can lean on them you know because if something happens to a hearing aid and i'm just kind of you know like okay now i can't hear you know do i have this person to really help me um and bryn my teammate was such such a supportive person for me. So yeah, so four years was kind of a blur just between practice and um, classes and races um, and studying and, you did, know. Did you wear your hearing aids? I did. During I the, wore my during he- races? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So so I did actually have an old set of hearing aids that they haven't made. They like discontinued them maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> so, um, but they were my my what I would call my water aids. Okay. Um, very analog. The sound quality was terrible, but at least was enough sound where I could hear what the coxswain, the woman who was um, uh, at the lead of the boat, was yelling at me. And um, and I had black and gold ear molds for Iowa, and it was... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. And actually, the only time I didn't have my hearing aids on was uh, a rowing trip that my um, team did down to Florida and we were um, we were practicing in a pair so there's two of us in a boat compared to eight and I was actually in a pair with my um, hearing impaired teammate Bryn who also did not have her hearing aids in so we're on the ocean and our boat flips over (laughs) (laughs) so the two hearing impaired girls go into the ocean 
And our coach is yelling, screaming at us about, you know, flipping the boat over. And we're just like, we can't hear you. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, so I do think college was awesome because I think it brought like a whole other level of my personality out um, and being able to kind of talk about my hearing loss, maybe in in a more candid way. Um, Yeah, I feel like I grew up a lot those four years between just the discipline of having practice and, you know what I mean, time management and all that. But I also think just those relationships again, um, they got to know me now, you know, as a different, different Katie. And I think it kind of circled back where it was really awesome that my hearing loss was kind of just more of a topic of like fun conversation rather than oh, you know, so do you feel like you're having trouble hearing? You know, it, there was really none of that, which I was very fortunate. That's yeah. wonderful. And at Iowa, it was great because um, because it was a Big Ten school. I did have access to, you know, uh, anything I wanted in the classroom, whether that be, you know, note takers, extra time if I needed a sign language interpreter, which I didn't, um, you know, just, just captions, um, there was so much available to me through the disability um, department as well, which again, I think you kind of have to get over like this quote stigma of being then walking into the disability services department, but Hey, they were there to help me. And, you know, with my busy life, they were awesome. And once you crossed through the front door of the disabilities office, was it rather simple to set up those services? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, so uh, as part of my application to Iowa, I had um, uh, written down, you know, I had been an accepted, but I was now applying for housing. And so I will admit that I used my hearing loss as an advantage on the application that perhaps I would land in a bigger dorm, maybe some air conditioning. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, and I did. I did have a nice dorm um, with some <laughs> with some air conditioning that was completely equipped with a, um, a fire alarm that had a, um, a strobe light. Um, there was a doorbell, you know, so there was a light that could go off in my room if somebody was ringing the doorbell. Um, and I actually, my freshman year, uh, was paired with another girl who had a hearing loss as well, and she had um, bilateral cochlear implants. And so hearing lo- her hearing loss was a bit more significant than mine, um, and she was from a very small town in Iowa. So, you know, just very different um, histories, but that was really cool, too, for us to learn from each other. And so, yeah, so it was it was wonderful, the services that we had, Um I will say, you know, like any other college dorm, the fire alarm inevitably goes off at three in the morning and, um, you know, everybody leaves the dorm. And then there's this one room where the lights are like flashing, you know, <laughs> and it's our dorm room because just making sure that we know that, you know, there's something that's going on and we need to leave. But I feel like the transition to college and I felt very secure there. Um, you know, between my friends, my teammates, and then also, you know, what was provided to me while I was in those dorms. And then after your college years, so you're already a, a Division One successful Division One college athlete, and you didn't stop your athletics after you graduated. I did not. So while I was at Iowa, my head coach was a former rower, but also she um, was a Ironman triathlete. 
And so on the off seasons, we would do kind of some makeshift triathlons that she made up. Um, and I found myself kind of liking that. Um, and so I started kind of competing in some short um, sprint triathlon races that were right in Naperville over the summer and kind of just took off from there. And so now I um, have competed in a couple of um, half Ironmans. I do lots of sprints, a lot of Olympic distance. Um, I love them. So that's been kind of cool. And I think um, while it's very different than the team aspect, I think it still has given me a sense of, you know, um, that, you know, sense sense of like just pushing myself and trying to meet, you know, break down new barriers. And I've really enjoyed it. So, um, but this is really cool because I do think, again, just for how apprehensive I was about the water as a kid, I've really had to learn to, you know, adjust and, and be and, and embrace it, um, especially with these longer distance races that there's, you know, several hundred people in the water at the same time. Um, and they don't know that I have a hearing loss. So I think that's, um, you know, and while I'm swimming, I don't wear anything in the water just because I just would prefer not to lose something. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so I think that, um, again, just kind of p- trying to push myself, push the envelope a little bit. Um, and I think that, um, you know, my time at Bennett, my time at Iowa, uh, just every new adventure has kind of brought, you know, okay, how do we, how do we get better? How do we, you know, um, how do we succeed in this, in this way? And I really enjoyed doing it. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and how, just for all of us non-iron men and women out there, <laughs> how, what are the distances of the half Ironman? So for the half, it's exactly half of the full distance. So you swim um, a mile and a quarter, and then you bike 56 miles, and then you run a half marathon. So you run 13 miles. Um, so roughly takes about six, six and a half hours for me. Um, but I've always loved doing long distance races. And um, what's great now is that with my hearing aid and now I have a cochlear implant, um, I'm able to stream, you know, music while I'm working out. Um, so it's pretty cool now how the technology has allowed, you know what I mean, has, has continued to support me in a different way, um, you know, to, to continue to kind of pursue my passions. Even though Amplified is a success story, that doesn't mean there weren't hard moments and even harder days. Hearing aids are life-changing when they work, but they are still technology capable of breaking, or worse, being lost. I know there was one lost hearing aid along the way, which is pretty good for a whole lifetime of hearing aids, the fact that only one was lost, so tell me about that. Well, this was a a family vacation, a summer family vacation up to a lake in farther farther up into Wisconsin. And I will say just personally, it was, and looking back, it was really not my favorite place to go <laughs> because we were in this, you know, 
smaller cabin type situation and we had a pontoon boat and I married to somebody who loves to fish. So it was his ideal trip. And all I was doing was making sure everybody was safe and fed in a smaller space. And so everybody else had a great time. I'm just going to throw that in there. But so we were out on the pontoon boat and I'm thinking Katie was probably nine. And so that meant she also had a seven-year-old sister and a four-year-old sister and I am just doing the whole mom thing, concerned that everybody has a life jacket on. And and then it felt safe enough that they could get in the water. And, and she, Katie and her sisters were so excited to jump in the water. And so it just, the next thing we knew, Katie had jumped in the water with her hearing aids in. And, and I was still standing on the deck of the pontoon boat. And you could see the look in her eyes was just complete panic that she was in the water and she instinctively reached up and grabbed them out of her ears thinking that was the right thing to do. But one fell and went to the bottom of the lake. There was no retrieving it. And it was just one of those moments like your life kind of flashing before your eyes. How much, how many more days are we here? And what do we do now? And, um, but Obviously, I put on a mask and drove down to see if I could find it yeah. in the muck and the stuff at the bottom. Nope. No, it was not happy. And, of course, that was the same trip that her sister sat on her own glasses, and those were, you know, not wearable. And I think I think I lost, I was wearing, um, you know, hard lens, contact lenses at the time, and something happened with them. So we were coming home, and, and a lot of things had happened, you know. <laughs> And, and trying to make the phone call ahead to the audiologist to see if we could get a hold of a loner. And, and I think we just took that, that opportunity then to say, oh, well, maybe it's time not to just replace that aid. Let's see what's developed, you know, since these last ones. And get, I think we just, you know, started anew. And that was great, too. And Katie, you, you grew up in a the unique time of hearing aids transitioning from analog to digital, so you had you had to make that switch, um, and that that can be a hard transition um, yes. for kids. How was that for you? So that was a tough transition, um, and I don't think it was this particular set. I think it was the next one after that. Um, but yes, going from analog hearing aids, which kind of you know amplifies everything, you know, to some percentage rather than digital, which is now trying to amplify sounds, soft sounds at a different way than it's amplifying loud sounds. Um, uh, you know, oftentimes patients who are transitioning from analog to digital feel like digital hearing aids are just too quiet um, and they sound too um, pixelated. Um, and so that was definitely my experience. I felt like I couldn't hear anybody <laughs> and everyone just did not sound good. And so I do remember um, my audiologist just, I mean, she was so sincere in the fact that she knew this was a huge adjustment. And she just let me sit there and just, you know, just balk at it for a while. But at the end of the day, I really just needed to try it. Mm -hmm. And I remember going home and sitting down at the piano and starting to play. And I just immediately broke down because it just sounded so different. Um, but, I mean, the amazing thing was is, I mean, within a week, 
I don't think I could have told, I would have never worn my analog aids again. Wow, that quickly. Um, yeah, so it was, and because also I was a consistent hearing aid user, I was wearing my hearing aids 12, 14 hours a day. So that gave my hearing system and my brain 12 to 14 hours of exposure every day, um, you know, and I think we did it over the summer, if I remember correctly, which I think was also a really just kind of cool how that worked out, um, that I didn't have to go back to school on Monday with something different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that transition was a big transition. And then another big transition was going from a more traditional behind the ear with the big ear mold, because my first set of digital eights, I was still wearing an ear mold. Um, I had ear mold until I was in high school, kind of, I didn't get um, receiver in the ear hearing aids until I was going off to college. So I was a BT girl with ear molds my whole life. All the colors? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We went through a lot of different colors. Um, And uh, so that was also a big change to just going from that different configuration. Um, And so it's interesting now seeing patients who are making that transition and kind of like seeing the wheels turning in their head because I totally remember being there. Um, But so, yeah, so I feel like in terms of the hearing aid technology world, I've seen a lot. And then now most recently to have a hearing aid that's rechargeable is just another whole thing, which is really awesome, especially as a mom of of a young kiddo where now I'm not worried about a hearing aid battery is on the floor somewhere that she's not going to pick it up and put it in her mouth. You know, I think this is so cool for this next generation of kids who potentially could become parents. And I know you once shared me shared with me a story um, about Girl Scouts that until you told me that, I, I would have never thought about that challenge for a child. Yes. So as a girl of the 90s, I was Obviously, in Girl Scouts. Of course, obviously. And um, so this is when I was a brownie, and um, I was on a overnight sleepaway camp, um, and we were all sitting in a circle playing the game telephone. So for those not familiar with telephone, you, you know, someone has a sentence or a phrase or whatever, and you whisper it to the next person who then whispers it to the person next to them. And it goes around the room. And then the final person, you know, the idea is that you're able, you know, the the correct passage has gotten through the whole chain. And now the last person says, you know, the passage. So you can imagine as a hearing impaired kid (laughs) sitting around this circle, I am so stressed out. (laughs) And, you know, because I cannot hear what they're whispering and they don't let you, you know, ask multiple times to repeat yourself, whatever. So I remember somebody whispered something in my ear and I just turned to the next person and said, I don't know, ask her. (laughs) And then, you know, (laughs) and as truth would have it, you know, by the end of the circle, that last girl says, I don't know, ask her. And I just remembered thinking, like, okay, I'm never playing this game again. (laughs) But that was a moment of, okay, well, this was an uncomfortable situation, and there was no way out of it, so I just kind of had to improvise, right? Um, But I think, again, you know, stuff happens no matter what, you know, what your kind of thing is. 
Um, and for me, the, the game telephone as a Girl Scout was, that was it. That was my, uh, you know. Absolutely. Just, yeah. No, barrier. I love how you rolled with it, though. <laughs> yeah. Were you ever bullied as a child? Repeatedly, no. Um, there was a little boy that was in one of my classes who did refer to me as deaf girl. And, you know, at the time, it frustrated me. I was in third or fourth grade, something like that. But I also think that I didn't like him either. So, you know, it kind of... um, But I was never really somebody who my feelings got hurt um, super easily. So I think that, you know... Could people have been talking behind my back? Possibly. I didn't hear them. So (laughs) it probably worked out, you know. Um, So that was never a huge thing. Um, I do think that because my hearing loss did make me different, that some kids just then tend to stay away from people who are different, you know. Um, But I didn't really experience repetitive bullying and I feel very fortunate about that. Why don't you share with everyone what your career is now? Sure. So I am a pediatric audiologist. I work at Lurie Children's Hospital. That's right. Katie Radosevich Farnsworth is my colleague. Sometimes you have to search for a great story, but sometimes you get lucky and the great story shares an office with you. Um, I am on the diagnostic audiology team as well as the cochlear implant team, which means that I see every any kind of patient that comes into our clinic, um, from kids who fail their newborn hearing screening to identifying what their hearing loss is, um, to fitting them with hearing aids. And if hearing aids are not powerful enough for the hearing loss, then working those children up for a cochlear implant and subsequently activating their implant and um, following them. So it's really awesome to be able to be part of both teams for me specifically, too, because I do have an implant. Um, And so to remember my journey with hearing aids and now be an implant user, um, it's it's nice that I feel that I can um, connect with families in a on a more personal level. When did you first know you wanted to be an audiologist? I was about nine, seven or nine. And I. After I was initially diagnosed with my hearing loss, I had the same audiologist through Children's Memorial for a couple of years, and then she then transferred over to the cochlear implant team. Um, And at the time, we were driving downtown for my appointments, and we lived out in Naperville. So um, it was just decided maybe we can just find someone closer to home. I was, you know, doing well. Um, And so... We bounced around different clinics for a little bit, mostly for ear molds. And there was one particular audiologist where, you know, he was taking an ear mold or, you know, trying to manipulate my ear mold and just kept trying to, you know, empathize with me about my hearing loss. And, you know, at this stage, At this stage of my career, I really do appreciate the effort that went into trying to connect with me, you know, um, and and just make sure that I felt heard 
But at the time, I was very frustrated because I felt like, you know, how could this person understand what I'm talking about? You have normal hearing. I do not. (laughs) You're making an ear mold impression for me. You know, so I felt very disconnected. What was he? Do you remember what some of the things he said to you? Yeah, I just said, oh, I know how you feel. Um, That was a big one. I know how you feel. I know how you feel. And I'm thinking, you have no idea how I feel, you know. And um, and even at that age, like, it was just, I just remembered feeling like, no, <laughs> this is not, this this wasn't like, it just wasn't the right thing to say. And I remember leaving and we were in the parking lot and I turned to my mom and I said, that's it. I'm going to be an audiologist. And from then on, that was it. You know, I really never looked back. Um, and no plan B. No, there was no plan B. <laughs> that was it. I was I was going to be a pediatric audiologist. Um, and so we quickly after that did um, meet an audiologist at Westchester, Larry Children's Westchester Outpatient Clinic. Um, and then I worked with her for, you know, the next 15 years. And... Joy has been such an integral part of my life. Remember Joy Ringer, the audiologist interviewed at the end of episode one? That's the same Joy Katie is talking about today. I invited her to my graduation. You know, she was, you know, and 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 I never felt that she really tried to connect with me in a way that she knew she couldn't connect with me. You know, it was it was more about, okay, tell me about your experience. What can I do to make it better? Um, and, and that's, I think the true test of a really good audiologist to, to just for a patient to feel heard, um, but not, you know, try to be put into a box or something like that, you know, and that's, I think that's the best that we, you know, can do for them. I did want to say one thing about Katie and uh, her career choice as parents. And we had touched on this earlier parents, when you find out your kid is hearing impaired, you're devastated emotionally. It's a terrifying thing because it's such an unknown. And if I was a parent to be able to walk in and see Katie as my kid's audiologist, hearing impaired, with a hearing aid in one ear and a cochlear implant in the other, think, oh my God, there's hope. There's hope here. If she can do it, others can do it. I remember one time when Katie was doing one of the sound experience programs and she was a panelist in this program. And one parent was asking her about her eight or nine or 10 or 12 year old daughter and going through all of these things and being very combative, et cetera, et cetera, and wanted to talk to Katie about it. And Katie said, ma'am, I think um, your daughter's issue has a lot more with being 13 than it does with her hearing loss. <laughs> and this relief just washed over this mom's face like, thank you, thank you. I don't have any other daughters. I didn't know that. and. Having that perspective of having walked that walk before is a very comforting thing to a parent and to a patient as a patient gets older and can appreciate it. Back when Katie was at, at uh, Rush um, finishing her doctorate, she had to think about, okay, where am I going to do my, my final year, uh, hoping then that one would have the ability to go work for their work there permanently. And um, she was looking at Lurie and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia 
and Boston's Children's Hospital, wonderful organizations, wonderful places. And I was pushing Boston. Katie has a cousin who's at who's at Harvard, which is next door, affiliated with the Children's Hospital of Boston. And I was really pushing Boston. And finally, Katie looked at me and said, Dad, I want to do Lurie. If I get into Lurie, I'm going to Lurie. I go, Boston? What about Boston? She said, Dad, why wouldn't I want to go to the place that changed my life? Did you ever encounter someone when you told them what you wanted to be or if you, you were telling Katie that what you wanted to be, did you ever get like a little raised eyebrow or a, oh, really, or That's challenge a- you about this career path? So um, most people were like, Oh, that's just the most beautiful thing, you know, Um, just very, very supportive and, um, you know, just thought that would be wonderful. Um, I do think that it's interesting, the individuals that you meet who are now in the academic world, if they are researchers or if they're clinicians. Um, And so when I did my um, graduate program, I had been accepted and I was, no, this was undergrad. It was undergrad. This was undergrad. Undergrad. And um, I was going, I had been accepted and I was going to um, check out the campus, meet and meet some of the staff that were part of then the speech and hearing sciences department. Um, and the the person that I met with um, was just very dismissive of um, me, of what my passions were. And I was, you know, just not feeling the vibe which was actually super abnormal because I had never gotten that before. But it was the first time where I really felt like, oh, okay, maybe some people do doubt that, you know, can I do this? Um, But other than that, I do feel like, you know, most people were very supportive. Um, In fact, this guy at one point looked at Katie and said, what do you mean you want to be an audiologist? Because most of the people in those programs do speech path, not audiology. And she's, what, 18 years old? And he looks at me and goes, what do you mean you want to be an audiologist? How do you know you want to be an audiologist? You know what that is. Oh, my I'm goodness. Thinking, look at her ears, pal. <laughs> <laughs> and I did all I could not to throw him out the window. And I, and Katie has to learn how to deal with people like this. So she handled it magnificently. And I thought, how vulgar a thing to say to a to a young student who wants to come into your program so, and pay out-of-state tuition. Right. So, so we left that interview and we had a, a formal tour of the campus scheduled afterwards, and we just thought, mm, no, and <laughs> got in the car and, and enjoyed our day at home rather yeah. than uh, continuing on. That was a that was cross that off the list. Instead of interviewing another clinician for this episode, I wanted to share more from Katie's sisters, Abby and Julie Radosevich where they discuss some of the challenges they have witnessed for Katie. We like to talk. We talk a lot. Yeah. So it works. The loud family. I I've, learned last yes. week. The loud family. I've been trying to keep it level set on this tone. <laughs> so not screaming, because usually I scream when I have headphones on. I'll remember, too, when you would be, you know, in the bathroom and doing your hair so you can't have your hearing aids in. And, and it, it took quite a while to learn that I would, go, you know, then go in and ask. And we basically... I would look at her and point to my ears and she'd either give me the no-go or the just look me and say, yeah, I have them or the no-go. And if I actually needed to ask her something, I would go and get her hearing aids where I knew where they were, bring her to her, 
and do this whole thing. And then as we got older, you know, we would be all in the, you know, our bathroom getting ready together mm-hmm. and Katie would be doing her hair and then she'd use hairspray and not want to get them on her hearing aid. So she'd take them out and hand them to one of us and mm-hmm. we'd close our fist, use them, do our hairspray. And it was just so seamless. It was almost like pass me the mascara. She mm-hmm. just like holds them out. We grab them, puts them in, that's it. And it's so funny to think about that one i miss us all getting together in that bathroom it was just a blast um but now it's just it's became so seamless and i also think to a piece of advice i would give to a sibling is to learn and to Mm -hmm. under like tries to understand as much as you can so that you can help them and then it's just going to be that seamless kind of movement where you don't even think about it anymore you know and Katie's an incredible triathlete, and it was always, okay, we'll grab her hearing aids and when she goes into the water, and then we'll give them back. And it was just became part of the routine, like mm-hmm. making sure you have enough water and do you have energy bites and what about hearing aid batteries? It just became so seamless. Um, Before she would go exercise for six hours. Yeah, which is, a if there's anything weird about Katie, that she exercises yeah. for six hours. That's great. That's that great. I love her, but I don't get it either. Yeah, I don't understand yeah. that at all. That's going on the record for th- sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything weird about her, she exercises for six to eight hours straight, which <laughs> voluntarily. That's what it is. That's <laughs> voluntarily. Like no one's chasing you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the best times, though, was we were at one of the, you know, Naperville triathlon- triathlons at Centennial Beach. And they were putting over the loudspeaker and she's standing down there. And so she, and she doesn't have her hearing aids in, which I also can't imagine being surrounded by hundreds of people and not being able to hear. So that's just an incredible feat as it is. But mm-hmm. they announced to make sure that the tracker, you know, that they use to when you cross each, you know, you get out of the pool, it crosses you so you can tell your time and whatnot to make sure that it was on, let's say your right foot. And they're announcing it over the loudspeaker and everybody's looking down to make sure they're there. And Katie's just looking at the sky, (laughs) looking around, has no idea what's going on. And I can see her and her tracker is on her left foot. So then we're trying to do all types of makeshift signals to her. We're running down to tell her and eventually you got it. But that was just another thing where also nobody around you noticed what Mm -hmm. was going on. And you, everybody else was checking in. Katie's just sitting there. When do we get to swim? When are we swimming? (laughs) Am we going yet? And then she gets up to the line and, you know, they shout them off. And Katie's always, you know, like right there waiting to go, but she can't hear. And I'm just thinking that that's the weird thing. You're going to exercise for six hours and do it so well, not being able to hear anything. And I will stand on the sidelines and cheer you on. Mm -hmm. But that sounds like you guys have been cheering her on her whole life. Yeah. You're awesome siblings. We love her. (laughs) We do. She's pretty great. Yeah, she's awesome. And she and she gave us Nora. So yeah. that's pretty incredible too. Yeah. Mostly that. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> well, I think it's super cool too. Um, I just wanted to throw this in. All like the the technology advancements she has, like how mm-hmm. she can stream her music to that and like have her phone go to that. Because I remember, you know, obviously we didn't get cell phones until way later and she would have to like awkwardly hold it you know, up at like the top of her hear- her hearing aid to like talk and then have to adjust it to speak. And she had these headphones that would clip into the base of her hearing aids. But then if she couldn't find them, you know, it turned into a whole thing. Um, so I think it's really awesome now. You know, I think it's awesome that captions are now mainstream. I think it's mm-hmm. great that she can just stream her music and stream her calls and not have to worry about it. And, you know, in that sort of aspect, especially with Nora. I mean, I'd love to see the day when 
you could somehow stream the baby monitor to that so you could get some sleep or something. But <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. I remember we were on a flight, a long flight, and you didn't have the clip in headphones. Oh, yeah. I don't remember where we were going, but I completely remember when that happened. And it was devastating because if I forgot my headphones, I could go to any store, any Hudson News, anything, and get a pair of headphones. But you can't do that for these particular ones. And now I tell everybody that when I call Katie, it just goes directly to her brain. And I don't know really how CIs work, but I tr- and I should know more and I would love to. But all I know is that it goes directly there. And, and that, so I tell everybody that she just hears me directly in her brain. And yeah. I think that's She's that cool. smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So going from not being able, you know, misplacing one set of headphones and you can't hear any music on a six-hour plane ride to just where you are today is incredible. So, and I just, I think Katie should be the, the poster child for everything. Just, oh, yeah. you know, just c- going from having something that obviously not a whole heck of a lot of people have. And even at the time, it took several years to figure it out, which is totally yeah. different now to working with children who have similar issues. And she's also so kind, tall, beautiful, amazing. I'm like, put her on every poster. That's my mentality. <laughs> but I'm very proud to be your sister. So Yes, I would agree and ditto to all of that. I also agree and ditto to everything Abby and Julie said about Katie. Reflecting on the imperfect doesn't cause resentment for the Radosoviches. Instead, they find gratitude and humor easily. And of course, loudly. Thanks for listening. Amplified, presented by Lurie Children's, was created by me, Katie Colella. Music by Les FM. Artwork by Katrina Graggiolo. Special thanks to Jamie Budzik, Lisa Weber, Joy Ringer, Jen Haney, Danielle Lee, and of course, the Radosevich and Farnsworth families. If you need resources regarding childhood hearing loss, go to luriechildrens.org forward slash audiology dash resources. Transcripts of all episodes are available at luriechildrens.org forward slash amplify. Learn more about Katie and the incredible Division of Rehabilitation Services on Instagram at Lurie Rehab Services. That's at L-U-R-I-E Rehab Services. 